Hi, TYB on the run. Well, welcome to Romans 2. Now, let me, before I read this over you, I just want to introduce um, the Bible Blast to you because imagine Phoebe standing up in, in front of this very divided church. She's already read the, the program of the letter that we are going to present the gospel account. She's already read this scathing attack upon the Gentiles, their sinful, futile thinking, the way they're judging the, the Jews. And, and it seems like Paul is, is very going after the Gentiles if you just read Romans 1. But wait, there is more. Let me read this over you, to, over you guys, Romans 2. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles, who do not have the law, do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the requirements of the law are written on their hearts. Their consciousness are also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and boasting God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of little children, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who boast in the law, Do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law. But if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. So then if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A person is not a Jew 
who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the Spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Oh my goodness, this is like watching Rocky Balboa in a fight. (laughs) This is like crazy. I cannot believe when you read this separately, it's quite amazing because it sounds quite harsh. And as I'm reading it, I'm like, oh my gosh, how am I going to unpackage this? Because I know what is happening in this church. They are so divided. The Gentiles hate the Jews because of everything and they keep talking about circumcision and Torah and they're religious. We're talking about um, the Gentiles kind of in, in a thematic way. The first section, chapter one, kind of deals with the sinful, the, the world. What does the world think? They, the world, you know, looks at idols and, and thinking and, and everything's about thought patterns and reason. But in this second chapter, we're very much talking about the religious. We're talking about those who are legalistic. We're talking about those who, who are Jews and they say that they're better than everybody else because they're born the descendant of Abraham and their circumcision is, is a sign that God, they are the people of God. And Paul systematically breaks it down and he doesn't necessarily, it's quite amazing, he doesn't necessarily attack the law. Can you hear that? He's not attacking the law like he does a little bit in Galatians. <laughs> He's saying basically that you are a hypocrite because the very law that you say is what you need for salvation is the very thing that brings condemnation and cursing upon you. And he's saying, did you hear it time and time again? He says, it is about the heart. It is about the circumcision of the heart. And he says, the one who is not circumcised physically and obeys the law will condemn you who even though you've got the written code and the circumcision, you're actually a lawbreaker. He's saying what you do, even though you espouse to say that you're very religious and you're doing all these things out of a religious spirit, he's saying it's what Christ gospel actually came is to say that it's all about your heart. And these Gentiles, even though you are looking at them like sinful Gentiles, they actually have the heart. And that is, can you feel what he's doing? He's equalizing the playing field. He has addressed the Gentiles in chapter one and said, you guys are sinners. Don't forget that you are sinners and where you came from, a very immoral society. Then in the middle, there's this crazy section where he's almost really full on and he's saying, you cannot pass judgment. Chapter two, one, you therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. He's saying you're a hypocrite. Gentiles, don't pass judgment on the Jews. Jews, don't pass judgment on the Gentiles. Because whatever you judge, you actually have to look at yourself and say, am I actually doing that? And it's he's saying you're showing yourself as a hypocrite. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. And he's saying, look, the playing field of this, how am I, how am I measuring you? He's saying I'm measuring you against the truth. And I know that God is based in truth. And then he says, so when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you'll escape God's judgment? Now, as you're reading this, guys, I don't know about you, but it seems quite harsh, right? It talks about, you know, um, the, the, the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, which is just this beautiful moment. But it also talks about God's wrath and his judgment on those who are uh, hypocritical. 
and his judgment on those who do things wrong. Now, I know sometimes we we don't like to read stuff like this because it does. It kind of brings up this essence of there's consequences to our actions. And in a grace-based society, in a grace-based um, um, Christianity, this is quite this is quite harsh. But you know what? This isn't meant to bring condemnation on you. It's meant to be, bring the whole, bring the Holy Spirit conviction upon you. Condemnation is is um, judgment without hope. And he's saying basically, he guys, I'm telling you that you're going to be judged, but there's a hope because you can swap teams, you can repent. But conviction is 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 this essence of of saying not judging, but saying saying what is wrong but giving hope in it. And I love the essence of Paul in this chapter. I don't know if you heard it. The essence of Paul saying, look, there is hope within this. Let's have a look. Because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, this is why he's saying this, guys. He's saying, he's calling them to repentance. There's always an answer. And just before that, he said, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads you to this repentance. It's not perfection. It's not, it's not him condemning you. It's, it's even though Paul is highlighting what sin is here, he's saying, you know what? I love this. Do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that it's actually God's kindness that is intending to lead you to repentance? He's saying, I'm saying these things, guys. Because I'm telling you there is penalties. I'm telling you there is consequences to your sin. But I'm also saying it's the kindness of God that wants to pour his grace out over you, over a repentant heart. And that's all it takes to swap from penalty, punishment to to grace. There's just one step and that one step is a repentant heart. And he says because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. He's saying there is going to be an end, guys, where we give account of what we've done. Let me read it to you. When his righteous judgment will be revealed, God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking, who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil the first Jew and then the Gentile, and he talks about this and he says, guys, and I I know it's very controversial, this first Jew, then the Gentile, first Jew, then the Gentile, and I know that's quite controversial, guys, and you can study that in a commentary, but what he's saying is this, to a divided church in Jew and Gentile, he's saying you guys need to get it together because under Christ we are, he's going to hit this pinnacle moment in chapter 3, he says we're all sinners, Gentiles, if you're proud of of being a Gentile and this being your city, you know what? There's stuff in this city that is really completely immoral. Jews, if you're proud of being the people of God and that's where your arrogance is coming from, he's saying your arrogance is actually quite hypocritical because everything in the law, you you go against the law anyway and you're actually quite, your legalism is hypocritical. On the other side, your liberalism is immoral. And he's just showing the essence of these two sides. Paul is very honest and equalizing. <laughs> Imagine this moment where I don't know what, what you're proud of is kind of brought down and you realize the very thing that you're lording over other people. Someone shows you the flip side or the bad side of that and you realize that we are all equal. We are all saved by grace and it's that grace that you not tap it, you need to tap into, not the arrogance and the pride. And um, let's keep going. All who sin apart from the law will perish. He talks about the law and he says, guys, don't get all arrogant on the law. Don't get all arrogant because really if you sin apart from the law, you know, you're actually doing quite well. He says they they show that the, the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciousness also bearing witness and their thoughts sometimes accusing them and at other times even defending them. 
This will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. He's saying, look, my gospel declares that you are saved by grace, but it also declares that you need to recognize that you need a savior. And I love this moment. It's about our hearts. Can I say, TYB, your salvation is about your heart. You're you're constantly in Christianity. We need to keep our hearts in line. It's not about how much you work for the church. It's not about how much you do for Christ. It's not about any of those things. Those things are beautiful and good, and we do it out of the abundance of, of, of thankfulness for the grace. But it's ultimately about grace. It is the kindness of the Lord that leads us to that repentance. Meaning what? The very door that we walked through having the benefits of what we have, we would not have those benefits without the door of grace. We would not have those benefits. We would be stuck at the other side of the door, stuck in our sin, in our immorality, in our futile thinking, in our religious spirits. But can I say also, TYB, it's quite amazing that most of us would go, oh, definitely chapter one, they need, they need salvation. Definitely chapter one, those sinners and, you know, sexual immorality, wickedness, greed, idolatry, they definitely need saving. And you can imagine this in the church. Oh, those Gentiles definitely need saving. And I can feel that sometimes in my own Christianity. Oh, gosh, people out there, outside there, those sinful people, they definitely need saving. But you know what? Paul doesn't stop there. He says, just as the sinful need saving, the religious <laughs> needs saving. And I don't know about you, but that religious spirit that, that says, I am and I have and I'm greater than, and he actually goes after those religious ones as well as the sinful ones. Don't get so arrogant in your in your Christianity that you actually become just like a sinner in your in your legalism, in your religion. Those who look down on people, you know, it, it just breaks my heart when Christians do texts in Instagrams that condemn people when really they haven't read Romans <laughs> because Romans is the great equalizer. The Romans is the great knee bender. It's the great humbling moment where we realize that at every point in our life, we need Christ at every point in our life. Now, I know some people say, well, these are the Jews that aren't saved, but these he's talking to the church here, guys. He's not talking to outsiders. He's saying you came from here, you came from there. Remember that. In your Christianity, remember where you came from because that will keep you humble. And I love that essence because arrogant Christians bring do more harm than good in our societies. Maybe today, TYB, I'm talking to you and and maybe you've become that judgmental figure in your family. Maybe today you've become that ju- judgmental figure to your friends where once you were maybe a part of their life and, and that's, you know, it's good that you came away from that. But you know what? Don't come away from the the your friends as and then become a pinnacle judger. <laughs> become somebody who judges what they do. No, remember where you were. And I love that essence. Sometimes I get so arrogant in my Christianity and God just humbles me and he's like, Kate, do not become the flip side of Romans. Do not become the legalistic judge that sits on the other side of the church and says, hey, you sinners, sit in the middle of the church under the cross. Sit in the middle of the church under grace. Sit in the middle of the church under that beautiful cross of Christ and know honestly where you've come from. And we were about to say honestly, you know, in salvation and the gospel message where we're going, but know that we are all sinners saved by grace. And I'm going to say it again and I'm going to read it over you again today, guys, in your workplaces, today in your families, today, guys, know that it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's his heart. 
It's not the judgment that's going to lead your family to repentance. It's not you telling them how much they're a sinner that's going to lead them. It's that you are loving them so much and you are you are taking care of them. You are showing Christ's love to them so much that they are just like, you know what, I am a sinner that needs Jesus or I am a religious person that needs Jesus. This beautiful book, I know we focus on the wrath of God and the punishment of God, but what Paul is saying is this, is, is, is focus on the grace and don't ever take for um, granted that grace. Then he smashes the Jews. Did you hear it? Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law. I tried to be like quite prominent in it, um, you know, Imagine Phoebe, she would have been so nervous. She's like talking to one side and then they hate her and then the other side hate her. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I hate reading these letters from Paul. But then she gets to go to Chapter 3, which just redeems the whole situation. And he says, you know, if you are a light, convinced that you are a guide for the blind. And it's quite sarcastic, I have to say, and I tried to read it quite sarcastically. If you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, you can hear the arrogance of this an instructor of the foolish. And can you hear the two sides? Guide for the blind, light for those who are in dark, an instructor for the foolish, a teacher of little children. It's got this nature of belittling. Can you hear it? Because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then who teach others, do you teach yourself? And then he basically says, guys, you point your finger with one finger, but three are pointing back at you. He's saying when you point your finger, you little children, dark, you're in darkness, you're a sinner, three are pointing back at you. And he says, let me point back at you. Are you stealing? Are you robbing? Are you are you actually committing adultery? I imagine this story, you know, when when the Jesus pulls that woman who was found in adultery. Uh, this comes to light to me. He pulls her out in front of the Pharisees and they're all pointing their finger at the sinful woman. And he pulls her out and and they throw her down. And and when Jesus walks up to her, you can imagine the crowd, the judgment and the hatred. But what Jesus does is basically what Paul does here. And what does he write in in the sand? Some people say that when Jesus did that, you know, with the the, um, Mary Magdalene, where where he he wrote their names in the sand of everybody who'd been with her. Or maybe he wrote the times. You know, two o'clock appointment is you and three o'clock appointment is you. What did he write? Because when when he stands up, nobody in that crowd is without sin. Nobody says he he is without sin. Cast the first stone. Go for it, guys. And he realizes the people who are judging realizes that they actually under God's law are to be judged themselves. And I think sometimes, guys, this is what Paul is saying in this, don't become a judge without knowing that you maybe have stuff in your life that needs to be judged. And and I love that when Mary Magdalene looks up at him and, and he says, I don't judge you, the only person in that room that had the right to judge because he was without sin chose not to. And that is the followers of Christ. Can I get a little bit passionate here, TYB? Romans is saying this. He's saying in church there is no division. In church there should not be hierarchy, ranks and orders. We are all sinners saved by grace. We should be all sitting on the front row. We should be all there. I love this essence of don't bring your hierarchy and your divisions into the body of Christ. And I get a little bit passionate about that because I see that all the time. Christians who've been there for 20 years, beautiful Christians, and I get it, not looking back and bringing new flock in. We've got to be people that are constantly aware of the grace of Christ over our life. Now, circumcision has value. I'm in 25. 
Um, if you observe the law, he talks about circumcision and he says, guys, I know you're harping on about circumcision, but it doesn't have any value because their circumcision is of the heart. Lastly, a person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, oh my gosh, this is so revolutionary, nor is circumcision merely, merely, merely outward and physical. In Galatians, he says, I'm so sick of you guys talking about circumcision. I wish you would chop it off. And this is this is a nicer way, essay way of saying this. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. He's saying this, guys, TYB, keep your heart pure. TYB, keep your heart right. Don't be judgmental. Don't be don't be a person that sits in church judge, judging your friends, your family. Be one that would, would the kindness of the Lord leads them to repentance, guys. So it's all about our heart. And he talks about legalistic, keep your heart pure. And I absolutely love it. Cannot wait to jump into chapter three with you guys. Jump in with me and we're going to go through God's faithfulness. We've, we've all found out that we're sinners, but what happens when we all get saved?